Section 18 of Incidents of Travel in Central America, Chiapas, and Yucatan, Volume 2, by John Lloyd Steffens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. At Ocosingo, we were in the line of travel of Captain Dupay, whose great work on Mexican antiquities, published in Paris in 1834-35, awakened the attention of the learned in Europe. His expedition to Palenque was made in 1807. He reached this place from the city of Mexico, under a commission from the government, attended by a draftsman and secretary, and part of a regiment of dragoons. Palenque, he says, is eight days' march from Ocosingo. The journey is very fatiguing. The roads, if they can be so called, are only narrow and difficult paths, which wind across mountains and precipices, and which it is necessary to follow sometimes on mules, sometimes on foot, sometimes on the shoulders of Indians, and sometimes in hammocks. In some places it is necessary to pass on bridges, or rather trunks of trees badly secured, and over lands covered with wood, desert, and dispeopled, and to sleep in the open air, excepting a very few villages and huts. Quote, we had with us thirty or forty vigorous Indians to carry our luggage and hammocks. After having experienced in this long and painful journey every kind of fatigue and discomfort, we arrived, thank God, at the village of Palenque. End quote. This was now the journey before us, and according to the stages we had arranged, to avoid sleeping out at night, it was to be made in five instead of eight days. The terrible rains of the two preceding nights had infected us with a sort of terror, and Pauling was completely shaken in his purpose of continuing with us. The people of the village told him that after the rains had fairly set in, it would be impossible to return, and in the morning, though reluctantly, he determined abruptly to leave us and go back. We were very unwilling to part with him, but under the circumstances could not urge him to continue. Our luggage and little traps, which we had used in common, were separated. Mr. Catherwood bade him good-bye and rode on, but while mounted and in the act of shaking hands to pursue our opposite roads, I made him a proposition, which induced him again to change his determination, at the risk of remaining on the other side of the mountains until the rainy season was over. In a few minutes we overtook Mr. Catherwood. The fact is, we had some apprehensions from the badness of the roads. Our route lay through an Indian country, in parts of which the Indians bore a notoriously bad character. We had no dragoons, our party of attendants was very small, and in reality we had not a single man upon whom we could rely, under which state of things Pauling's pistols and double-barreled gun were a matter of some consequence. We left Ocosingo at a quarter past eight. So little impression did any of our attendants make upon me that I have entirely forgotten every one of them. Indeed, this was the case throughout the journey. 
in other countries a greek muleteer an arab boatman or a bedouin guide was a companion here the people had no character and nothing in which we took any interest except their backs each indian carried beside his burden a net bag containing his provisions for the road that is a few tortillas and large balls of mashed indian corn wrapped in leaves a drinking cup being half a calabash he carried sometimes on the crown of his head at every stream he filled his cup with water into which he stirred some of his corn making a sort of cold porridge and this throughout the country is the staff of life for the indian on a journey in half an hour we passed at some distance on our right large mounds formerly structures which form part of the old city at nine o'clock we crossed the rio grande or huacachahul following some distance on the bank and passed three cascades spreading over the rocky bed of the river unique and peculiar in beauty and probably many more of the same character were breaking unnoticed and unknown in the wilderness through which it rolled but turning up a rugged mountain we lost sight of it the road was broken and mountainous we did not meet a single person and at three o'clock moving in a north-northwest direction we entered the village of huacachahul standing in an open situation surrounded by mountains and peopled entirely by indians wilder and more savage than any we had yet seen the men were without hats but wore their long black hair reaching to their shoulders and the old men and women with harsh and haggard features and dark rolling eyes had a most unbaptized appearance they gave us no greetings and their wild but steady glare made us feel a little nervous a collection of naked boys and girls called mr catherwood tata mistaking him for a padre we had some misgivings when we put the village behind us and felt ourselves enclosed in the country of wild indians we stopped an hour near a stream and at half past six arrived at chion where to our surprise and pleasure we found a sub-prefect a white man and intelligent who had travelled to san salvador and knew general morazan he was very anxious to know whether there was any revolution in ciudad real as with a pliancy becoming an office-holder he wished to give in his adhesion to the new government the next morning at a quarter before seven we started with a new set of indians the road was good to yahalon which we reached at ten o'clock before entering it we met a young indian girl with her father of extraordinary beauty of face in the costume of the country but with a modest expression of countenance which we all particularly remarked as evidence of her innocence and unconsciousness of anything wrong in her appearance every village we passed was most picturesque in position and here the church was very effective as in the preceding villages it was undergoing repairs here we were obliged to take another set of indians and perhaps we should have lost the day but for the padre who called off some men working at the church 
at a quarter past eleven we set off again at a quarter before one we stopped at the side of a stream to lunch at this place a young indian overtook us with a very intelligent face who seated himself beside me and said in remarkably good spanish that we must beware of the indians i gave him some tortillas he broke off a small piece and holding it in his fingers looked at me and with great emphasis said he had eaten enough it was of no use to eat he ate all he could get and did not grow fat and thrusting his livid face into mine told me to see how thin he was his face was calm but one accidental expression betrayed him as a maniac and i now noticed in his face and all over his body white spots of leprosy and started away from him i endeavored to persuade him to go back to the village but he said it made no difference whether he went to the village or not he wanted a remedio for his thinness soon after we came upon the banks of the river of yahalon it was excessively hot the river as pure as water could be and we stopped and had a delightful bath after this we commenced ascending a steep mountain and when high up saw the poor crazed young indian standing in the same place on the bank of the river at half-past five after a toilsome ascent we reached the top of the mountain and rode along the borders of a table of land several thousand feet high looking down into an immense valley and turning to the left around the corner of the forest entered the outskirts of tumbala the huts were distributed among high rugged and picturesque rocks which had the appearance of having once formed the crater of a volcano drunken indians were lying in the path so that we had to turn out to avoid treading on them riding through a narrow passage between these high rocks we came out upon a corner of the lofty perpendicular table several thousand feet high on which stood the village of tumbala in front were the church and convent the square was filled with wild-looking indians preparing for a fiesta and on the very corner of the immense table was a high conical peak crowned with the ruins of a church altogether it was the wildest and most extraordinary place we had yet seen and though not consecrated by associations for unknown ages it had been the site of an indian village it was one of the circumstances of our journey in this country that every hour and day produced something new we never had any idea of the character of the place we were approaching until we entered it and one surprise followed close upon another on one corner of the table of land stood the cabildo the justicia was the brother of our silver dish friend padre solis as poor and energetic as the padre was rich and inert at the last village we had been told that it would be impossible to procure indians for the next day on account of the fiesta and had made up our minds to remain but my letters from the mexican authorities were so effective that immediately the justicia held a parley with forty or fifty indians 
and breaking off occasionally to cuff one of them our journey was arranged through to palenque in three days and the money paid and distributed although the wildness of the indians made us feel a little uncomfortable we almost regretted this unexpected promptness but the justicia told us that we had come at a fortunate moment for many of the indians of san pedro who were notoriously a bad set were then in the village but he could select those he knew and would send an alguacil of his own with us all the way as he did not give us any encouragement to remain and seemed anxious to hurry us on we made no objections and in our anxiety to reach the end of our journey had a superstitious apprehension of the effect of any voluntary delay with the little of daylight that remained he conducted us along the same path trodden by the indians centuries before to the top of the cone rising at the corner of the table of land from which we looked down on one side into an immense ravine several thousand feet in depth and on the other over the top of a great mountain range we saw the village of san pedro the end of our next day's journey and beyond over the range of the mountains of palenque the lake of terminos and the gulf of mexico it was one of the grandest wildest and most sublime scenes i ever beheld on the top were ruins of a church and tower probably once used as a lookout and near it were thirteen crosses erected over the bodies of indians who a century before tied the hands and feet of the curate and threw him down the precipice and were killed and buried on the spot every year new crosses are set up over their bodies to keep alive in the minds of the indians the fate of murderers all around on almost inaccessible mountain heights and in the deepest ravines the indians have their milpas or corn patches living almost as when the spaniards broke in upon them and the justicia pointed with his finger to a region still occupied by the unbaptized the same strange people whose mysterious origin no man knows and whose destiny no man can foretell among all the wild scenes of our hurried tour none is more strongly impressed upon my mind than this but with the untamed indians around mr catherwood was too much excited and too nervous to attempt to make a sketch of it at dark we returned to the cabildo which was decorated with evergreens for the fiesta and at one end was a table with a figure of the virgin fantastically dressed sitting under an arbor of pine leaves in the evening we visited the padre the delegate of padre solis a gentlemanly young man from ciudad real who was growing as round and bade fair to grow as rich out of this village as padre solis himself he and the justicia were the only white men in the place we returned to the cabildo the indians came in to bid the justicia buenos noches kissed the back of his hand and we were left to ourselves 
Before daylight we were roused by an eruption of Indian carriers with lighted torches, who, while we were still in bed, began tying on the covers of our trunks to carry them off. At this place the mechanic arts are lower than in any other we had visited. There was not a rope of any kind in the village. The fastenings of the trunks and the straps to go round the forehead were all of bark strings, and here it was customary for those who intended to cross the mountains to take amacas or sillas, the former being a cushioned chair with a long pole at each end, to be borne by four Indians before and behind, the traveller sitting with his face to the side, and, as the justicia told us, only used by very heavy men and padres, and the latter an armchair to be carried on the back of an Indian. We had a repugnance to this mode of conveyance, considering, though unwilling to run any risk, that where an Indian could climb with one of us on his back, we could climb alone, and set out without either silla or amaca. Immediately from the village road, which was a mere opening through the trees, commenced descending, and very soon we came to a road of palos or sticks, like a staircase, so steep that it was dangerous to ride down them. But for these sticks, in the rainy season, the road would be utterly impassable. Descending constantly, at a little after twelve, we reached a small stream where the Indians washed their sweating bodies. From the banks of this river we commenced ascending the steepest mountain I ever knew. Riding was out of the question and encumbered with sword and spurs and leading our mules which sometimes held back and sometimes sprang upon us the toil was excessive every few minutes we were obliged to stop and lean against a tree or sit down the indians did not speak a word of any language but their own we could hold no communication whatever with them and could not understand how far it was to the top. At length we saw, up a steep pitch before us, a rude cross, which we hailed as being the top of the mountain. We climbed up to it, and after resting a moment, mounted our mules, but before riding a hundred yards the descent began, and immediately we were obliged to dismount. The descent was steeper than the ascent. In a certain college in our country, a chair was transmitted as an heirloom to the laziest man in the senior class. One held it by unanimous consent, but he was seen running downhill, was tried and found guilty, but avoided sentence by the frank avowal that a man pushed him and he was too lazy to stop himself so it was with us it was harder work to resist than to give way our mules came tumbling after us and after a most rapid hot and fatiguing descent we reached a stream covered with leaves and insects here two of our indians left us to return that night to tumbala our labor was excessive what must it have been to them? 
though probably accustomed to carry loads from their boyhood they suffered less than we and the freedom of their naked limbs relieved them from the heat and confinement which we suffered from clothes wet with perspiration it was the hottest day we had experienced in the country we had a further violent descent through woods of almost impenetrable thickness and at a quarter before four reached san pedro looking back over the range we had just crossed we saw tumbala and the towering point on which we stood the evening before on a right line only a few miles distant but by the road twenty-seven if a bad name could kill a place san pedro was damned from the hacienda of padre solis to tumbala every one we met cautioned us against the indians of san pedro fortunately however nearly the whole village had gone to the feet at tumbala there was no alcalde no alguaciles a few indians were lying about in a state of utter nudity and when we looked into the huts the women ran away probably alarmed at seeing men with pantaloons the cabildo was occupied by a travelling party with cargoes of sugar for tobasco the leaders of the party and owners of the cargoes were two mestizos having servants well armed with whom we formed an acquaintance and tacit alliance one of the best houses was empty the proprietor with his family and household furniture except reed bedsteads fixed in the ground had gone to the fiesta we took possession and piled our luggage inside without giving us any notice our men deserted us to return to tumbala and we were left alone we could not speak the language and could get nothing for the mules or for ourselves to eat but through the leader of the sugar party we learned that a new set of men would be forthcoming in the morning to take us on with the heat and fatigue i had a violent headache the mountain for the next day was worse and afraid of the effort and of the danger of breaking down on the road mr c and pauling endeavored to procure a hamaca or silla which was promised for the morning chapter sixteen a wild country ascent of a mountain ride in a silla a precarious situation the descent rancho of nopa attacks of mosquitoes approach to palenque pasture grounds village of palenque a crusty official a courteous reception scarcity of provisions sunday cholera another countryman the conversion apostasy and recovery of the indians river chacanal the caribs ruins of palenque early the next morning the sugar party started and at five minutes before seven we followed with silla and men altogether our party swelled to twenty indians the country through which we were now travelling was as wild as before the spanish conquest and without a habitation until we reached palenque the road was through a forest so overgrown with brush and underwood as to be impenetrable 
and the branches were trimmed barely high enough to admit a man's travelling under them on foot so that on the backs of our mules we were constantly obliged to bend our bodies and even to dismount in some places for a great distance around the woods seemed killed by the heat the foliage withered the leaves dry and crisp as if burned by the sun and a tornado had swept the country of which no mention was made in the san pedro papers we met three indians carrying clubs in their hands naked except a small piece of cotton cloth around the loins and passing between their legs one of them young tall and of admirable symmetry of form looking the free-born gentleman of the woods shortly afterward we passed a stream where naked indians were setting rude nets for fish wild and primitive as in the first ages of savage life at twenty minutes past ten we commenced ascending a mountain it was very hot and i can give no idea of the toil of ascending these mountains our mules could barely clamber up with their saddles only we disencumbered ourselves of sword spurs and all useless trappings in fact came down to shirt and pantaloons and as near the condition of the indians as we could our procession would have been a spectacle in broadway first were four indians each with a rough ox-hide box secured by an iron chain and large padlock on his back then juan with only a hat and pair of thin cotton drawers driving two spare mules and carrying a double-barreled gun over his naked shoulders then ourselves each one driving before him or leading his own mule then an indian carrying the silla with relief carriers and several boys bearing small bags of provisions the indians of the silla being much surprised at our not using them according to contract and the price paid though toiling excessively we felt a sense of degradation at being carried on a man's shoulders at that time i was in the worst condition of the three and the night before had gone to bed at san pedro without supper which for any of us was sure evidence of being in a bad way we had brought the sea with us merely as a measure of precaution with much expectation of being obliged to use it but at a steep pitch which made my head almost burst to think of climbing i resorted to it for the first time it was a large clumsy armchair put together with wooden pins and bark strings the indian who was to carry me like the others was small not more than five feet seven very thin but symmetrically formed a bark strap was tied to the arms of the chair and sitting down he placed his back against the back of the chair adjusted the length of the strings and smoothed the bark across his forehead with a little cushion to relieve the pressure an indian on each side lifted it up and the carrier rose on his feet stood still a moment threw me up once or twice to adjust me on his shoulders and set off with one man on each side it was a great relief 
but I could feel every movement, even to the heaving of his chest. The ascent was one of the steepest on the whole road. In a few minutes he stopped and sent forth a sound, usual with Indian carriers, between a whistle and a blow, always painful to my ears, but which I never felt so disagreeably before. My face was turned backward. I could not see where he was going, but observed that the Indian on the left fell back. Not to increase the labor of carrying me, I sat as still as possible, but in a few minutes, looking over my shoulder, saw that we were approaching the edge of a precipice more than a thousand feet deep. Here I became very anxious to dismount, but I could not speak intelligibly, and the Indians could or would not understand my signs. My carrier moved along carefully, with his left foot first, feeling that the stone on which he put it down was steady and secure before he brought up the other, and by degrees, after a particularly careful movement, brought both his feet up within half a step of the edge of the precipice, stopped, and gave a fearful whistle and blow. I rose and fell with every breath, felt his body trembling under me, and his knees seemed giving way. The precipice was awful, and the slightest irregular movement on my part might bring us both down together. I would have given him a release in full for the rest of the journey to be off his back, but he started again, and with the same care ascended several steps, so close to the edge that even on the back of a mule it would have been very uncomfortable. My fear lest he should break down or stumble was excessive. To my extreme relief the path turned away, but I had hardly congratulated myself upon my escape before he descended a few steps. This was much worse than ascending. If he fell, nothing could keep me from going over his head. But I remained till he put me down of his own accord. The poor fellow was wet with perspiration and trembled in every limb. Another stood ready to take me up, but I had had enough. Pauline tried it, but only for a short time. It was bad enough to see an Indian toiling with a dead weight on his back, but to feel him trembling under one's own body, hear his hard breathing, see the sweat rolling down him, and feel the insecurity of the position, made this a mode of traveling which nothing but constitutional laziness and insensibility could endure. Walking, or rather climbing, stopping very often to rest, and riding when it was at all practicable, we reached a thatched shed where we wished to stop for the night, but there was no water. We could not understand how far it was to Nopa, our intended stopping place, which we supposed to be on the top of the mountain. To every question the Indians answered, Una legua. Thinking it could not be much higher, we continued. For an hour more we had a very steep ascent, and then commenced a terrible descent. At this time the sun had disappeared, 
dark clouds overhung the woods and thunder rolled heavily on the top of the mountain as we descended a heavy wind swept through the forest the air was filled with dry leaves branches were snapped and broken trees bent and there was every appearance of a violent tornado to hurry down on foot was out of the question we were so tired that it was impossible and afraid of being caught on the mountain by a hurricane and deluge of rain we spurred down as fast as we could go it was a continued descent without any relief stony and very steep very often the mules stopped afraid to go on and in one place the two empty mules bolted into the thick woods rather than proceed fortunately for the reader this is our last mountain and i can end honestly with a climax it was the worst mountain i ever encountered in that or any other country and under our apprehension of the storm i will venture to say that no travellers ever descended in less time at a quarter before five we reached the plain the mountain was hidden by clouds and the storm was now raging above us we crossed a river and continuing along it through a thick forest reached the rancho of nopa end of section eighteen